1: It's time for Tales of Terror, only on the Mutual Audio Network.
2: The following audio drama is rated PG for parental guidance.
1: Streaming audio is made possible by Hungry Harvest, delivering farm-fresh produce and grocery staples to your door. Every delivery allows you to support local donations that fight hunger in the community. Learn more at HungryHarvest.net. It's time. You're listening to the National Edgar Allan Poe Theatre on the Air. Sponsored in part by Baltimore's own Raven Beer, this ongoing series brings to your ears the best-known works from America's revered grandfather of horror and suspense. From room to room in the asylum of the mysterious Dr. Mallard, Poe's wretched souls describe their awful tales while they await the doctor's revolutionary system to treat and cure the mentally crippled. In today's episode, the National Edgar Allan Poe Theatre on the Air presents Part 2 in our two-part adaptation of Poe's cautionary tale of the wages of sin, Never Bet the Devil Your Head. In Part 1 of Never Bet the Devil Your Head, we met the rogue known as Toby Dammit and followed his exploits to the fateful arrival at a covered bridge, seemingly transformed
0: by unknown forces. Then suddenly, and quite unexpectedly, the quiet and Dark of the covered bridge exploded into light, color, and sound, revealing itself as nothing less than a Mexican fiesta.
1: And now, Poe Theater on the Air brings you part two of Never Bet the Devil Your Head. Hello, good man. Are you all right? I must say, you went awfully quiet there for a moment. It felt as though an
0: entire month may have passed. What's that, a month? Preposterous. What do you take this for? Some type of episodic serialization of the last days of my good friend Toby, dammit? Nonsense. I tell you, I am fine. Now, where was I? Ah, yes. Despite repeated interruptions from the insufferable Dr. Duller...
1: You cannot possibly have written that!
0: Toby and I saw now that the entire area of the covered bridge we encountered on our alcohol-addled retreat from the pub was unaccountably transformed with musicians, dancers, a man wandering the periphery eating fire, or performing such acts associated with fire eaters and carnivals and circuses... I could not believe my eyes or my ears. I gasped, <gasps> but my esteemed friend, Toby Dammit, paid no notice. Rather, he continued to blather on now extolling the architecture of the structure which housed us.
3: As is so often in the style, and this creates a terrible sameness for this. Its gothic darkness, its refusal to offer entrance to the light, its neo-brutalist design that dares to deny the eye, even the barest semblance of visual interest, the very courage of such a... I
0: stood in wonder. The mystery of the moment was further enhanced by my friend's nonchalant indifference to what was happening. Then I heard a gong and saw a Chinese New Year's dragon begin to bob and weave through the crowd. And, as it did, the fiesta transmogrified into a Chinese New Year's celebration, replete with dancers, musicians, and fireworks. A magician tossed pieces of paper into the air, which burst into flames and floated to the heavens. He smiled at me and winked. I gestured to Toby to look in the direction of the strange festival, but as quickly as it had arrived, it vanished.
3: And for that, I would bet the devil my head What? What's wrong? You look like you've seen a ghost.
0: I tried to speak but only managed a series of meaningless sounds and guttural groans. Just Toby tried to calm me.
3: Try to calm yourself.
0: And eventually I was able to use language once again. I assured my friend that I was fine. I assure you that I am fine, my friend. In many ways, I tell you, Toby, the strangeness of life has inured me to the strangeness of life. That is what I told Toby. Now, I will share with you what I believed the scientific explanation to be. The fiesta and New Year's celebration were products of my imagination made manifest. The monotone drone of my friend's bridge-inspired discourse must have induced in me a state beyond even that of a normal stupor. This was achieved by the peculiar resonance of my friend's voice in the enclosed bridge, as he held forth on his subject combined with my singular disinterest in the subject he held forth on.
3: And in so saying, not that the visual interest is not there so much as given the gothic darkness, it is interestingly not visible, as it were, to the eye in its nakedness.
0: In this superior state of stupor, I experienced very vivid visual and oral hallucinations, which ceased as abruptly as they started. Perhaps this trick of the mind was self-defense, that my heart not attack me and I not die of boredom, or at minimum, suffer some damage to my health or psyche. Either that or I was going mad. A third interpretation was that a metaphysical occurrence of some significance was afoot. At the time, I believed the first explanation proffered. Now, I believe the third. However, no more of that. I must have looked startled, for Toby said... You look startled.
3: And not a little like dung. What's wrong with you? How can you tell
0: in this darkness?
3: I have only just pointed out and spoken at length about the unusually small triangular windows there and there. And that one in particular is casting a faint light directly onto your face. I see. From which light I can glean from said face that you resemble dung. Yes,
0: so you informed me.
3: Specifically, like ten pounds of dung. That is oddly specific. In a five-pound sack.
0: And needlessly hurtful, it seems. Let us proceed.
3: Onward, journeyman.
0: And onward we went. But not for long. Our forward momentum was soon impeded.
3: Ouch! Ouch! What the devil is this, impeding our forward
0: momentum so soon? I don't know. It wasn't here the last time we journeyed this way.
3: Seeing as how that was last evening, my memory concurs with yours.
0: We then heard a rather uncanny voice that neither Toby nor myself could claim as our own. We were startled, but remained unflappably calm on the outside. By way of contrast here, I offer you an aural glimpse of our inner selves. But, as I say, on the outside, we projected a different quality altogether. One of calmness.
3: Oh... Scary little fellow in the dark, uh, good evening to you.
0: Yes, hello. How unexpected to meet you here in the dark and scary darkness. Do we know each other? Perhaps. The enigmatic reply did little to calm our innards, but we remained by all appearances entirely casual. If my friend Toby Dammit can ever be said to be casual... The shadowy figure and ethereal voice represented for Toby another prospective audience member.
3: I believe you scared my friend, little fella.
0: I wouldn't say scared exactly, so much as... Oh,
3: scared stiff, in fact. We didn't see you there. You see, this bridge is quite austere in the area of windows, which accounts for it being so dark in here. Dark
0: indeed! This was all the interloper said. I was flummoxed, as I am sure was Toby. Why was there a turnstile in the middle of the bridge? Was this normal? Who put it there, and why? Who was this man who lay in wait to startle the unsuspecting, and why? Who was he waiting for in the gloom, and why? The whys and wherefores of these questions merely incited in me the desire to be gone from this place to the relative luxury of a mediocre meal and a lumpy bed. I felt the need to be gone, gripping me. Good day to you, stranger. Come, friend Toby. Through the turnstile and on we go.
3: Now, now, what is this? Though we have been friends since we were we bairns, you seem to forget my exceptionalism. I am a man who only does things in an exceptional manner.
0: And now, dear friends, Toby had an audience of more than myself, and this was an opportunity he could not pass up.
3: I shall leap over the turnstile with grace and flair. I shall perform an allegro run into a long leap, an aerial arabesque with a twist of la and a perfect fondue landing.
0: At this, the little man clapped and moved into the sliver of light afforded by the aforementioned high triangular window, which fell upon his face. I was startled to see his face bore a more than striking resemblance to the fire-eater in my fiesta fever dream, and as I squinted to see more clearly, he looked at me and winked. As he did, his face seemed to become the visage of the magician who tossed flaming pieces of paper into the air in my other Fata Morgana. My blood ran cold. Toby paid no mind other than to be bolstered by the applause.
3: I am bolstered by your applause. I only wish the lighting was better so you could fully appreciate the full splendor and glory of what you are about to nearly not see. My friend, I know you fancy yourself a scribbler. You must set down the triumph I am about to perform for posterity's enjoyment and edification.
0: Toby, dammit, please don't. Just... Come through the turnstile like a normal human being and let us be on our way. Oh,
3: piddle-paddle with such piddle-paddle. Crossing through a device meant to count or control the great unwashed masses is not acceptable for the exceptional man.
0: You are right. You must. We don't You must.
3: Calm yourself, little man. I will.
0: Toby now moved to position to begin his exhibition. The little man lit a cigarette that was not there. Toby was ready.
3: Give me an introduction befitting the greatness of the event.
0: Stop this foolishness and let's be on our way before you hurt yourself.
3: That was a singularly terrible introduction.
0: Allow me. Ladies and gentlemen we present to you the deterministic, moral, and logical end of this story. An exceptional man invites you to witness his unprecedented brilliance and bets the devil his head he can rise to this artistic and athletic challenge. You can learn
3: something from this diminutive and freakish stranger for that was an introduction
0: toby please stop this i have an ill feeling about this
3: i attribute that to gas let it out and you'll feel better it's an ill wind that blows no one good if it is suppressed. my
0: friend i implore you
3: nonsense greatness favors the great watch
0: watch i can barely see all is chiaroscuro You should wait for daylight to perform your act of greatness.
3: It is dark.
0: Mayhaps delay is for the best. Yes, mayhaps. Truly, such an achievement is not for the timid who lack conviction.
3: Not for the timid indeed. I'll bet the devil my head it is for me and I am for it.
0: Here I go! Toby, please, I... Stand back! Stranger and stranger, dear listening reader, for I then noticed the little fellow now had a drum around his neck, upon which he was playing. And he was off. I couldn't see much, making this a primarily oral occasion. Suddenly, we heard Toby's grunting leap. <laughs> ...which freed him from the earth, uh, temporarily. If the sound of exertion was any indication, Toby achieved great height with his leap. We then heard an exclamation of joy, which was abruptly and sharply cut off. This was oddly followed by the crash of a cymbal, which the little man must have had in his percussive arsenal as well. Then, something that sounded like a large melon being opened with a cleaver on a warm summer's day... speaking of a melon that is what i thought had rolled over my foot i wondered where such a melon had come from had it come from the strange little man i was about to say sir you seem to have dropped your melon for it has rolled onto my foot instead i reached in my pocket for a match i retrieved it bent over and struck the match I was surprised to see that it wasn't a melon at my feet, but rather my friend's head. His eyes stared forward in disbelief. Toby, I think you may have injured yourself. Your head seems to have been deprived of its body. To which he replied with a singular and singularly appropriate word. Damn it. That was the last word my friend Toby uttered in this life. Was it a subdued exclaim of frustration, or the self saying goodbye to... itself? Who knows? Then what does it matter? Toby did not survive his injury. His eyes remained open, but Toby was no longer home. Or perhaps he was home, depending upon one's metaphysical convictions... I thought of the strange little man and turned to speak to him, saying, Hey, strange little ma... But before I could finish the sentence, I saw that he was gone. I was alone. Were you alone, that is? Then what did you do? I am very nearly finished, Doctor. All will be revealed. Reveal it now. What did you do? You're the one who mentioned something totemistic about my tale. And you know, sir, you seem somewhat the worse for the telling of it. You look as though your head is going to fall off. A mild case of frustration. If my head does fall off, though, I assure you that you shall pay for it. How? Just what does a head cost these days, and how do you anticipate you may collect You are the omniscient narrator. Isn't that accounted for in your story? It may well be, Doctor. It may well be. If not, this one, perhaps the next. Finish reading this one to me. You said you were very nearly at the end. Ah, there's very little left. We were essentially done. But not quite. Finish it. Before I could finish the sentence... Sentence sentence i i saw that he was gone was gone gone was gone i was i was alone alone and all i loved i loved alone alone yes you are alone tale is nearly complete the tales nearly complete nearly complete why did you kill him did i kill my friend No, it wasn't me. I merely chronicled the event. That man, he did. What did you do with the body? For that, let me continue reading. No one would pay for a funeral. I found a patch of soft earth in the woods. I dug and dug and dug deposited both parts of Toby. The constable said, We've searched those woods. We found nothing. Of course they found nothing. I thought how unprofitable my labors had been. I thought I deserved some payment for my efforts. I returned and disinterred old friend Toby. Still being fresh, I was able to sell him for dog food. Toby hated dogs, but I understand he has proven to be quite popular with them. Why did you
1: kill him? Was he in the end simply too irritating to be endured without resorting
0: to murder? The doctor insisted I was a murderer. Yes, I recognized that he was not from the magazine, but was in fact my doctor. I realized where I was. I continued to proclaim my innocence... I didn't kill him, I told you. It was that man, that stranger. He was the devil. Toby bet him his head, his everything, invoking him day after day, year after year. It was the devil. That's what I've come to realize. That man in the covered bridge with us that night was the devil. I realized it I said to myself I'll be damned and I was I was we are we are are we we are
1: I was yes it appears that my enforced creativity has given our dear friend quite a bit to consider we'll leave him for now Let him rest. Fascinating, is it not, what can happen in the dark? In fact, some light has been shed on this case. The mystery of why Mr. Dammit's body was never recovered seems to have been solved. Dog food! Indeed. However, as to the definitive identity of the killer, was it the devil? Perhaps it was, metaphorically speaking. But enough speculation. There are many more children here under my care. The next fascinating case is just steps away. You've been listening to the National Edgar Allan Poe Theatre on the Air and Part 2 of our production of Never Bet the Devil Your Head, adapted for radio by Tony Sundeis. Never Bet the Devil Your Head was directed by Alex Zabistovich and produced by Ty Ford, with the voices of Tony Sundeis, Brian McDonald, Alex Zabistovich, and Jennifer Restak. Poe Theater on the Air theme by Greg Martin. The National Edgar Allan Poe Theater on the Air is sponsored in part by Baltimore's own Raven Beer, purveyors of Poe inspired craft beer. More information can be found on the web at ravenbeer.com. More information on the National Edgar Allan Poe Theater on the Air can be found at poetheater.org. Until next time, this is Alex Zavistovich reminding you that all that we see or seem is but a dream within a dream.
3: Terrace!
2: Hey Billy, why do you look so down?